Welcome to How Art is Born, a podcast from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practices. I'm your host, R. Alan Brooks, artist, writer, and professor. Today I'm joined by Denver-based illustrator Sophie Birkin. Say hello. Hello. Okay, so Sophie, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, um, I am a British illustrator, and I've lived here for about eight years, and I've been working as an illustrator for about five years, and I guess I'm also an artist, but I'm only just learning to call myself (laughs) that. Well, okay, so that's interesting. What is the distinction for you between illustrator and artist? I think illustration, I don't want to say illustration is inherently commercial because I really love and respect illustration like uh-huh. as an art form, you know, but I think that there's like uh, like a very big element of design to it, right, where it's like it's it's for a purpose yeah. and it's meant to, you know, to illustrate something, right, to like tell a story in some way and uh-huh. to like convey information, whereas I feel like fine art doesn't automatically have to do that. Like it right. can, but I feel like there's a little bit more kind of leniency with it Hmm. and I love both very much but I feel like because I used to work at like a graphic design agency and my background was in fashion design and just like that whole kind of design world that like working like creating art to a brief is something I've done for a long time something I'm really comfortable with and like pushing myself out of my comfort zone to make much more personal work that's more like vulnerable and maybe not as like uh, not as pleasing to everyone automatically. Like uh, it's something I just really want to make myself do now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you're taking like uh, so all the work that you've done before? You said to a brief like it was something where somebody gave you some description that had to serve some function. Right. Exactly. So now in creating your personal stuff, are you like writing out a description of what you want, or like how are you approaching it? It's funny. I actually do do that, and I hadn't huh. thought about it in that way. That I am essentially writing a brief for myself <laughs> because. I feel like anytime I want to do something, there's always a lot that I have been like learning about around it. It's like something I take a really big interest in. And then because I have so many thoughts, I just want to contain them all within one place and like try to understand myself better. So I do end up like writing out kind of like, I guess the way I would want to describe a piece of work once it was finished Yeah, and kind of going backwards from that. Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, like uh, with, writing uh, scripts for comics or movies, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of times people start with, like, what is the um, the statement that tells what the right. whole thing's about, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what you're doing now. You're yeah, like, I guess it is. And, yeah, it's not something I've really ever had much of a knack for, but I have tried to make some little, like, cartoons and, like, outlines huh. for hypothetical graphic novels that oh. have never materialized and things like that. And, like, huh. yeah, that process is actually pretty similar of, like, you know, because I've done lots of storyboarding as well for animation, yeah. which is the same kind of thing. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I actually wasn't aware of that part of your uh, career. Oh yeah. <laughs> so how do you how do you uh, how do you like that the, the storyboarding for animation? Um, it really depends. So I used to work, like I mentioned, at a graphic design agency, Grit downtown, which okay. was like absolutely great, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the storyboarding for that was um, pretty arduous because mm. it wasn't like my style I was working in, and it had to be a lot of it was uh, storyboarding for actual like real film as opposed to animation and so like the drawings were kind of more realistic um but i have been working with the same animator um Hmm. vincent comparetto for like years and every time i get like a freelance animation gig i work with him and that's really fun because we work really well together and i can think about what i know he will make something look like and we can communicate very easily So I really enjoy doing those storyboards. We've actually been working on a piece together for, well, two pieces for Planned Parenthood for the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, okay. So when I'm, I'm looking at your art, I noticed that um, there's very well. It, it has a very distinct voice, um, even though you're illustrating as you described it. Like it's still very much your voice in a in a mm-hmm. strong way and uh, highly emotive, powerful colors, that kind of stuff. Thank you. Uh, oh, no problem. But I wonder, like, um, how you got there. You know, like what what kind of started you down this path? What spoke to you in the early days of I think think like when I was so I I got like very very lucky with my old job because I was originally trying to do like lean more towards a graphic design and my boss at the time was like hey like you're pretty good at drawing like do you want to try kind of being our illustrator and I was Uh. like fuck yeah that sounds awesome yeah um and so I got like tons and tons of practice in but I was working in different styles all the time right Mm. like they like our kind of art director and creative director would like figure out the direction they wanted to take and they would give me a lot of like source material of a lot of like different artists maybe it was like historic stuff or just like someone else's and you know just be like do this kind of a thing um which was great and a really good learning experience Mm. and then i kind of got to a point where like i was i mean i have this pinterest board you know that's like illustration (laughs) inspiration that has about nine million images in it and i started to feel really like itchy about like oh there's all this work i love so much and i don't feel like i have a distinctive voice at all yeah Um, And I started, like, trying to develop it and, like, seeing what I liked in other people's work. Like, not in the way of copying it, obviously, but just, like, all these different elements of, oh, I really like, like, how this person, like, frames up their figures. And I Mm. like the way this person uses color and line. And just kind of spiraled from there. And I think, yeah, it's, like, developed over time, obviously. Huh. Well, this is really interesting because I feel like a lot of artists um, in uh, various disciplines are like, how do I discover what my voice is? Yeah. And so for you, it was uh, you put together the things that resonated with you mm-hmm. and then sort of processed them through your own creative soul. Yeah, and yeah. And this is what came out. It's a very, I think I undertook it very, like, methodically. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that's uh, sort of a common theme with how you approach your art? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think part of the reason I've been so hesitant to call myself an artist for so long is, like, when I was in, like, more formal art education, like, even in high school and things like that, like, the way that, I understood art and was taught to understand art was as this very kind of like loose free process and you know you Mm. see like artists in movies and they're just like throwing paint at canvases (laughs) and it's like this raw expression of emotion and I kind of don't really think like that and I think a lot more like you know not how do I phrase this in a good way like I like to put things in boxes you know I could never Mm. make a sketchbook that was like just amazing like drawings and pictures and just uh, this big collage it was always like kind of neatly laid out and I really thought that was to my detriment and I think when I realized like no I can use that to my advantage and Hmm. make that work to create what I want to create is when I started being able to develop my own stuff that's cool you're really touching on something like so I find um a lot of artists because inspiration is so um unwieldy and unpredictable Mm -hmm. uh they're afraid that any type of technique that's put on top of it or any type of order or um, formality is mathematizing the art too much and like it will take away the purity of it. Right, exactly. Uh, I run into that with writing. Like um, for me, I have to outline things very like um, very formally in the way that you're describing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but then I, I tend to think of the outline as like a map. You know, like if like if you and I decided we were going to drive to Mexico or something like that, right? right. We, would have, we could plot out where we're going to go. But while we're following that plot we can say, oh, wait, there's a sign that says 
world's biggest piece of yarn and we can stop and be like, check that out, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I like to go on vacation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so like when you are um, coming up with a formal plan for how you approach art, do you find new things, like new things come up in the actual execution of it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like um, there's this piece, collection of pieces, I guess, that I've been working on and just thinking about, I mean, kind of daydreaming about for the better part of like two years, you know, okay. and the whole time I was kind of concepting it, I want, is that a word? Concepting? Conceptualizing <laughs> yes. is what I meant to say. Um, the whole time I was conceptualizing it, I was thinking it was going to be like kind of quilts, right? Uh -huh. And I started putting it together and I was like, I want so much more going on here because now I'm looking at all these other fabric artists and I'm like, why not bring all of these like historically feminized crafts in, right? Why not do like beading and embroidery yeah, and like painting on like leather and things like that. And so like, yeah, I think once you start rolling on something, you just you know, your idea changes a million times and right. snowballs into something much bigger than it starts as. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for me, structure is a way to um, execute or like to carry me forward into places because, you know, you can't depend on inspiration. It's fleeting by nature. Right. right? And so um, there's so many people who come up to artists and are like, uh, I have an idea for a thing and this idea is revolutionary. I just need somebody to do to make it, you know. But like the idea is not the hard part. The making it is the hard Absolutely. part. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they'd be like, I, you know, you're coming to a musician. Oh, I got a great song, but you got to write it, you know, or like. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so it's, in, I think it's interesting to hear about like how different artists, which essentially what this whole podcast is about, how different artists approach their art and how, um, what things are like okay. You know, because I think a lot of us come into like this expectation of like, this is how it should be, as you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And then you start finding the things that are true to you and what works for you. Yeah. And suddenly a whole new world kind of opens yeah, up. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, so um, there's this thing where uh, that I wanted to ask you about where artists have this intangible goal of like, one day I'm going to really be an artist. Right. But it's not clear. Like when so-and-so hires me or when I make <laughs> X amount of money or when I get published or whatever that thing is. Right but they're not really thinking about a clear thing. Mm -hmm. And then when some of those things happen, they realize that they still are basically the same person. You're somebody who has done, um, you know, some pretty like high profile kind of work, sure. you know, like uh, Apple yep. and uh, Playboy and like a lot of really cool stuff. Thank you. And so I want to know like, what did that feel like to you? And the larger question is sort of, do you feel like you've made it, <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, man, that's such a big question. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, oh, God, I'm going to sound like such a fucking Capricorn, but <laughs> I have, like, pretty tangible goals in the sense that, like, I think the thing that is, like, the unknown quantity is I guess I don't know exactly what it would look like to be like you know considered a successful fine artist right because right. I think that that's very different for everyone uh -huh. but I do know that like I as much as I, I do really enjoy doing commercial work and I get some great opportunities yeah. and it's a lot of fun and you know that's that's awesome but like I don't know that I see it as my kind of forever long-term goal okay. I would like to get to a place where on the on one side of things I could essentially kind of build a brand out of my personal work mm -hmm. right like and you know like 
just make and sell things like art prints, merch, that kind of stuff, yeah. just to kind of sustain myself mm-hmm. so that I would have the time to pursue like fine art and not have to be super prescriptive about what that looks right. like. Like obviously it would be like very cool to like just, you know, have gallery shows and, mm. you know, like sell work and things like that and just but but it's more about I guess, yeah, I don't know that I feel like I've made it, but I've had a lot of like really wonderful experiences and mm. I think I've satiated that like desire for whatever you want to call it, right? Like yeah. those kind of name brand type things so what i really want to do is like have the time to make work that i think has a lot of integrity Mm -hmm. like something that i really love and like if people like it and they resonate with it that's awesome and if they don't that's okay because i'm still allowing myself to create what i want to create yeah you know so yeah that's really good yeah so like i guess for myself uh one of the things that i one of the things i think of for myself and i tell people who are trying to like figure their own stuff out is that um being an artist is a journey, mm-hmm. right? Just like uh, really everything in life, and you'll 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 hit different destinations. But um, I kind of think that the idea of quote unquote making it is uh, false, you know? Right. Um, because w- at different points in your life, different things are important, right? Just like right. you were talking about, like right. you know, you had the name brand stuff. Now you want to uh, pursue what it is to be fine artist and and the things that are attached to that. Um, I think if somebody as an artist has a clear goal of like, I want to make a living, that's that's a clear goal, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, you can uh, you can treat it that way. You can be like, okay, uh, I need to make X amount of money in order to survive or right. whatever. And I've done that yeah. year on year. I always like set myself a goal like that, and Do I feel like oh cool. Yeah, but I feel like I'm now at a point where I'm like, okay, I can earn slightly less money next yeah. year. And I can make more stuff that I love and care about and have fun doing it. And that seems great to me. Hmm, that yeah. balance between commerce and passion. Yeah, exactly. Huh. <laughs> That's really cool. Hi, this is Valerie Cassell Oliver, curator of the exhibition, The Dirty South, Contemporary Art, Material Culture, and the Sonic Impulse. Occupying three floors at MCA Denver, The Dirty South makes visible the roots of Southern hip-hop culture and reveals how the aesthetic traditions of the African-American South have shaped the visual art and musical expression over the last 100 years. This exhibition features an intergenerational group of artists working in a variety of genres, from sculpture to painting and drawing to photography and film, as well as sound pieces and large-scale installation works. Head over to mcadenver.org visit and use the code TDS20. That's TDS20 for a 20% discount on general admission for this exhibition, which is on view until February 5th, 2023. Okay, so we're going to go back. I want to know um, what was the f- first kind of art that ever really spoke to you when you were young? When I was young? Yeah. Honestly, probably fabric art, which I feel like, yeah, I was kind of just briefly mentioning, and I know, well, I guess... I guess fabric art and digital art because so my dad was a graphic designer for a long time. He was actually a teacher when I was a kid, but before I was born, he was a graphic designer and did illustration. And he had like very, very old Mac at home um, with like Photoshop on it and everything. And like yeah. when I was like, a, I think I started using Photoshop when I was about nine huh. and he was teaching me how wow. to use his like Wacom tablet. So like 
obviously very privileged experience to be able to do that and like that got me really into that side of things but my mom it works as essentially like a tailor because her side of the family owned this like very small very old like men's suit shop in my hometown Mm -hmm. and they do alterations in the back room right on the suits so I spent like all my time in there as a kid and there was just sewing machines and just sewing paraphernalia everywhere and like you know we didn't it was like the 90s I didn't have like (laughs) an iPad with me to do things on for fun so I just like made stuff like little purses and dolls clothes and things like that so okay so uh, it seems like so some people have a separate moment of like uh when art first inspired them and then when they first started creating art but it seems like for you those things were kind of merged like yeah yeah I think I've I've always done it I've always been you know getting in trouble on all my school reports for doodling all over everything and drawing all up my hands yeah I would do that too yeah (laughs) okay so then uh was there a clear time like did you always know that you were going to be an artist like for your life for your profession or was there definitely not I didn't figure that out until I was in my 20s okay (laughs) yeah yeah because I was just like a pretty nerdy indoor child, to Mm. be honest. Um, And so I was like, you know, always like drawing things and making things and things like that. But I also was like very like academic. And um, I think, you know, love my dad, but he hated being an art teacher so much. And so the constant refrain when I was a kid was like, do not become an artist, (laughs) because if you become an artist, you'll end up doing this and you'll hate it just like I hate it. Yeah. Go be like a lawyer or something. Right. You know, like a lot of parents. Right. Especially then. Um, so I took a pretty academic path in school and I always enjoyed art, but it was always the side thing. Like when I did my GCSEs, which is like the kind of two year exams you do from 15 to 16 in the okay. UK, uh, you get to like choose different subjects. And uh-huh. I like desperately wanted to do media and textiles, and I like wasn't allowed to do them because they weren't academic enough. And I had this little trade going where my friends would pay me negligible amounts of money to do their media coursework for them <laughs> make like magazine covers in photoshop oh, wow. and things but yeah That's quite a hustle. i applied to um i applied to college to do like history and social and political sciences when huh. i was in high school i decided i was only going to apply to two colleges i was like they're the only ones i want to go to and if i can't go to them then i'll do something else did not get into either which is a blessing um, and then I was trying to figure out, I took a gap year to figure out what I was going to do and yeah. just like work odd jobs and things like that. Um, and while I was doing that, I took a class with my dad's co-worker's wife, who was a very successful milliner. So she made these amazing hats for all of these theatrical productions and stuff in London. Okay. And I did a six week hat making course with her. And at the end of it, I was like absolutely hooked. Huh absolute hyper focus did not realize that at the time but I was just crazy about it and I was like what can I like can I go do this in college like can I make this my job right and she was like "Mm, wouldn't recommend it if you ever (laughs) want to like pay rent in your life but you could go and make shoes and I was like wait what she was like yeah shoes are basically hats for your feet (laughs) it turns out that that's like not that's not true that's an absolute lie they're way more complicated than that like really funny though yeah I know (laughs) she really wrote me into that one and so there's a great uh shoemaking degree you can do at London College of Fashion okay so at that point that's what I ended up going and doing because it was like one of those ones where they advertise it as like year in industry business management you'll be super employable also a lie (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, once I graduated... Well, how long was that program? It was four years. Okay. And, okay. So it was like you, a bachelor's degree. Okay. Yeah. 
And so you came out with a like fashion, was it fashion illustration? It was fashion, footwear, design, and production. Okay. Um, so we learned how to like design shoes and to make them. Yeah. I have like an entirely medieval set of skills. Uh, um, wow. Yeah, it was it was cool. I actually really enjoyed my degree, but when I graduated, it was like, okay, this is going to be actually a little di- more difficult to pursue than I thought it was going to be. I imagine so. <laughs> but I've never talk to anybody who specialized in this so it's interesting to me yeah. uh it, was it like all kinds of different like it was like high fashion shoes to sneakers like you could kind of choose yeah there wasn't many sneakers just because if you wanted to do sneakers that was actually like an entire separate degree oh because there's just a lot more and a lot different things that go into them huh. right like the pattern cutting is completely different obviously there's a huge technical aspect to them okay more than like a pair of high heels or whatever but um, you know, some people chose to specialize in men's footwear or children's footwear, and uh, I did like women's fashion footwear. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you come out and uh, you don't, there's not jobs, the jobs that you were promised, they're not there. Well, so I moved to the US okay. pretty quickly after I graduated. Uh-huh. So had I stayed in London, I think I probably oh. would have found a, like a footwear design, like junior design position somewhere or okay. something like that is what I would have gone for. Um, but I moved to the US and I couldn't work for about six months just for like immigration reasons. Oh. Um, Where did you so move, by the way? What's that? Where in the U.S. did you move? Uh, right here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Directly uh-huh. to Denver. Okay. That place I lived on uh, in Baker was oh, nice. the first place I lived. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved here, and I was like, this is amazing, and I want to stay here, and it's great, but also, what the fuck am I going to do for work? Right. Um, and by the time I did get my like em- employee permit thing, um, employment permit, I meant to say, um, I had like a million odd jobs. Like, I did... I did so many. There was one point where I was working like 100 hours a week doing five jobs. Wow. I was like printing things onto baby clothes and I was putting <laughs> rhinestones on the heels of bridal shoes, which was wow. a very particular form of torture. <laughs> and I worked at the Esquire, which was great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I did so many things um, hmm. because I was. Ju- there was just no... I think there's more now, but there was no fashion industry at the time for me to yeah. get into. And then, yeah, I decided to pivot and try graphic design because I saw... Everywhere I looked, there was 100 graphic design jobs listed. And that's okay. how I got the job that turned into an illustration huh. position. This is such an interesting journey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you're here. Um, the industry that you were hoping for didn't really seem to be there. So you mm-hmm. made this switch into uh, more graphic design stuff. Um, and you, you touched a little earlier about how you moved from graphic design to concentrating on illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to know, I guess, why, when you had that opportunity, why was illustration so appealing to you? It was honestly kind of a fluke huh. because I already enjoyed drawing and I already kind of did a little dil- digital illustration as a hobby, like really nothing major. And honestly, it was absolutely terrible. Uh, I still <laughs> have it all saved. wasn't great. Um, but it was just something I did for fun. And so when I put this pretty hasty graphic design portfolio together, because mm. I was just applying for internships at first, I was like, I am desperate. Right. Um, it was kind of obvious to me that I would just make little illustrations for them. Right? right. Also, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like when I got my job learning that people actually used Shutterstock, not just for photos, but for like typefaces and things like mm. that blew my mind i thought that everyone was individually creating typefaces for every project like i had no idea how any of this worked 
So I was like, I'll just do 100% of the work for myself. And then in the interview for this position, like literally, and I asked him this and my old boss does not remember this happening. And I'm like, this was a life-changing moment for me. I can't <laughs> believe you forgot this. But as I was walking out of the door, he had looked at my portfolio and he said, hang on, you can draw, right? And I was like, yeah, I can draw. And he said, like, we need an illustrator. Do you want to just do that? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I don't think... I think probably for about the first six months I worked there, not a single thing I did got used. <laughs> I was, every day I was like, I'm going to lose this fucking job. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I'm still here. But, yeah. Okay, so when you uh, moved into that position, and, mm-hmm. and were there um, types of illustration you liked more or less? Like, were there certain things that appealed to you? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely things that were a little more graphic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, like, not that I necessarily got a huge amount of opportunity, but I had, like, always just, like, loved drawing people mm-hmm. more than anything else. I was never doing anything particularly abstract, you know? Mm. But I knew that there was, like, a lot of work that I was saving. And, you know, when the things you love are not quite where you're at with your skill set yet, so you just keep yeah. trying for them, and it just falls a little bit short every time. But mm. it was a lot of these, like, really amazing graphic illustrators, like Mary Lou Fair and, like, Laura Callahan and people like that. Hmm. So. Okay, so uh, when you were working for that uh, that company, did that is that what led into you doing some some of the bigger sort of name brand stuff, or uh, what was that path? So I start. Oh, when did I start freelancing? I think I started picking up freelance work around like 2018. Okay. And the first gig I got, um, which was you know, a little bit of friend nepotism, I guess. I had a friend who's a freelance journalist and yeah. she had done some work with Cosmopolitan magazine. Okay. And she basically had a friend there and was like, give my friend who's an illustrator a job. Oh, that's um, cool. It was really nice of her. Yeah. Um, and they were doing, they do those like sex position columns that uh-huh. are like 10 sex positions to send you to the <laughs> hospital. Like absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but they reached out to me and they were like, we want to keep doing the same thing and we want to illustrate the positions, but we want them to be like a lot more like diverse and have like a whole representation of like body types and yeah. things like that. Right. And like different like sexualities and things. And I was like, okay, fuck yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So that was my first like big freelance gig. Okay. Um, and after that, I just, would pick things up as and when I could. I was working three days a week at the agency, so I had like a little extra time. Yeah. And then in 2020, actually, which is wild to think about because it was right <laughs> in the thick of the pandemic. And right. I was like, is this the worst decision I'm ever going to make in my life? <laughs> I just got to a point where I could not balance doing both anymore because right. I had so much freelance stuff going on, which was obviously really nice. Yeah. So yeah, I quit and went freelance full time. My boss was great. He was like, get to the end of the year if you want to come back you can come back which gave me like a really nice like safety net to land on yeah so okay so now you're at this point where you're um, exploring fine art and you're getting comfortable with calling yourself an artist yeah just about (laughs) so um what kind of themes are you finding yourself interested in exploring as an artist now you know obviously like all of my work is very queer and Mm. i feel like that is what people most often like want to talk to me about but I feel like anything I made would be Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like even if I was like I'm gonna do fantasy comic strips they would still be super queer because that's just like the world around me right Mm -hmm. that's like my people you know um but one of the big themes that I'm super interested in at the moment is like domestic labor and like the overlap between domestic labor and like artifice and industry Mm -hmm. um 
I'm like, how can I summarize this without going off on a huge tangent for an hour? <laughs> like, I think it's really interesting that we have this whole kind of mid-century period that we think about as this like relic of the past, right? Mm. Where you have like all this new technology being developed and it's all described as being able to like liberate women from the burden of domestic labor, mm. right? You've got like washing machines and like jello and things like that, mm. right? But like what they're really doing is they're just like raising the bar. So it's like, this will stop you from having to do all this housework. But what they're doing is then they're selling you this idea of what a clean house should be or what a good mother should be. You know, so you have Jello being like, we have this amazing convenience food. Are you tired of like standing over the stove and cooking for hours? Like this will be so quick and easy, but they're advertising it with this like, you know, incredible like towering jello monstrosity with shrimp climbing <laughs> up the sides and something that would take like fucking hours to make, right? right? And it's all kind of under this like veneer of artifice of like, you know, these ads that you look at from the 50s of like happy housewives and yeah. things like that, right? And I think like we're all familiar with those images and like some of them are so explicitly misogynist that they're like self-satirizing, right? right? So we can look at them and it's easy to try and create distance and be like, oh my God, can you believe we used to be like that? But it's like, I think that that pattern has repeated itself with every generation, hmm. right? Because if you look at like, the 80s you have like women like overwhelmingly entering the workforce like more than ever before and there's this idea of this kind of you know like bombshell in a power suit who can like have it all but like you know under the surface of that women were doing just as much domestic labor as before doing both things and then you have like beauty standards and like diet culture like skyrocketing so it's like this like burden of labor has actually like been increasing and then you come to now and there's this thing that I've seen people calling the like fourth shift of like you're doing the women are still statistically doing the majority of the housework right still generally like in the workforce um there are still all these kind of like beauty standards to adhere to but then on top of that there's like the burden of like emotional labor of like being like a therapist and a mother to a partner right and I just think like you look at that now and I think about all these kind of like family influences and you have these like very fucking hardworking women who are like filming themselves making all these like beautiful lunches for their children uh-huh. and their husbands and, and like neatly stacking name brand products in these little boxes that you can buy on their Amazon storefront, you know, and it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job yeah. and it's seen as really glamorous and aspirational and I'm just like, the way that those all connect to each other and the way that pattern keeps repeating itself, but we still try to distance ourselves from it is really interesting to me. So that's what the things I want to make are about. That was a good explanation. I'm sorry if that was very long. No, I'm telling you it was good. I love, so I'm often talking about how, um, to me, art at its height is something that takes the intangible thing and makes it tangible so that we we can wrestle with it. Right. Um, art fuels so many social changes and um, yeah, like societal shifts are so often fueled by art, whether it's songs, paintings, poems, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, inherent in a lot of the work that I do, it's trying to grab onto um, something about oppression or racism or sexism mm-hmm. or something and uh, humanize the people who are, uh, who are feeling right. it. And uh, communicate that experience to the people who are not feeling it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so yeah. it's really cool and interesting yeah. to hear um, all of the insight that you just gave into the themes that you want to explore. Mm-hmm. So for you, um, exploring those themes, 
you are, I mean, you work specifically visually. So yeah. is it about sort of capturing a moment that expresses that? Like, how do you kind of like break that down? Yeah, so I have one of them like nearly finished. Okay. Um, and what that kind of looks like for me right now, and it, you know, this might change completely. I'm yeah. sure as I keep going on this like process that will, a lot of new things will happen. But uh, basically I've been creating these kind of images of women in like domestic settings um, that are very like anachronistic. So I like love anachronisms. I have tons of that in my work. I okay. think like just little, little like moments from different uh, points in time. So you uh, maybe can't age something, right? Uh, so like the one that I have right now has this like woman who looks very kind of like like a 1950s housewife kind of thing and yeah. she's like on this like old-fashioned telephone but there's like a um i've forgotten the name the person who designs mugs that say things like blessed and oh. you know you know what i mean they've got the like spidery black writing on them i know what you're talking very about, like the person. target core kind of thing <laughs> yeah. um so she's got like one of those in front of her which okay. says I think perseverance or something on it <laughs> and then she's got like a little like instant pot above her head and uh, all of these like and then this big jello in the front which has like beaded shrimp so I am just trying to create images where you can't really date them like you might look at it at the first glance and be like is this the 50s but then you're like no she has a cell phone like hmm. and I want to do that by all of the the like images and the symbolism around these women like do represent like a certain type kind of domestic labor hmm. whether that's like a button of like cooking and or like childcare or whatever it is. And, you know, I want to nod to um, kind of the expectations that we put on women and the ways that we historically deal with them, right? So like the one I just did, like I found ads for this like actual prescription medication that they were doling out to housewives called Nervine, you know, to stop you being nervy. And all the ads for it are like, I can't remember what they say, but they're all kind of like, now you can enjoy housework again. Like they're very like, huh. very dystopian Terrible. almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Huh. Like being medicated to ma- to manage the burden of labor that's placed upon you. Right. So that's kind of what that's looking like. Okay. And I want to use a lot of like, because I am really interested in like artifice and like ad- advertising kind of what that does. Like yeah. I want to represent that visually with like really like gaudy bright colors and a lot of like kind of artificial materials, like a lot of like plasticky fabrics right. and like bright neon colors and things like that. MCA Denver at the Holiday Theater is a hub for the arts located in this historic 400-seat theater. We aim to realize one-of-a-kind creative experiences for audiences that spark curiosity, challenge conventions, inspire, and delight. Visit mcadenver.org to learn more about the robust schedule of museum-driven and collaborative programming. Well, that's great, because I wanted to ask you about the the media that you work in. Yeah. So, uh, like, when you're approaching something like this, you you write a brief. I write a brief. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, like, what, what's next? Like, what's your process? Um, I'm very type A, as you've probably gathered by now. So I sketch everything out and plan everything out. Um, this is like I've done other fabric pieces in a similar way before, and it's mm-hmm. almost like a kind of paint by numbers where I will kind of generally plan the colors I want, yeah. go down to like recreative, or just I have a big suitcase full of scrap fabric and like kind of find decent color matches you know so I have like a limited palette and then like create essentially like stencil like pattern pieces that I can 
transfer on it. Essentially quilting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. But uh, very planned. So your illustration stuff, mm-hmm. is that digital or traditional? It's all digital. Okay. Yeah. And I love digital illustration. Yeah. I'm not trying to get away from it, but I think something I really enjoy about it is how well it can translate to other mediums, right? Like whenever I do murals, mm-hmm. I create digital illustrations and then project and paint them. So oh. they're like super clean and I know exactly what they're going to look like. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, but for this particular project is textiles. Mm-hmm. And um, so then you sketch it out and, and it's kind of like quilting. Are you uh, putting them on canvases or kind of like what? How it's, do you envision them being? So sure? it's like, so I'll print out the pattern pieces, uh-huh. cut them out, tra- uh, trace them onto fabric, yeah. cut that out, and then basically kind of base them all together on like batting fabric. Okay. Um, which, and my sewing machine is like really doing some hard work. <laughs> so many people who have seen the things I've been making are like, are you doing this by hand? I'm like, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's uh-huh. a lot of sewing. So. What kind of sizes are, are we looking at for these pieces? The one that I'm working on right now is about, I'm about to show you when I'm talking into a microphone, it's about 24 by 36. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's pretty big. I would love to make some like really huge pieces, mm. but I'm really concentrating right now on, um, you know, things like the beading and the embroidery I really want to like get good at. And obviously yeah. it's easier to do that in like smaller right. areas. So. Okay, so for my own art, I'm so invested in um, the relationship between words and images mm-hmm. to communicate a message. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to me to hear you talk about such big themes and um, expressing them through these different types of media. Um, is when a piece is finished, mm-hmm. do you have sort of like a desired response or effect that you wanted to have on the people who are viewing it? Do you like write something to accompany it or, you know, kind of like how do you envision it? Yeah, definitely very into writing things to accompany things nice. and hoping that people read them. When I go and look at art myself, mm. I love that shit. I love like yeah. a really detailed description. I want to know the context and I want to know like about the artist and I want to get like a fuller picture of like what they really meant by that. Right. And that's something that I think, again, I was pretty old when I realized that that like existed and was out there and I could kind of uh, appreciate art from a more like academic perspective almost rather than just purely visual, you know? So like that's something I like to do in terms of like how people receive it. That is what I am trying to like let go of, right? Right. Because so much illustration and so much of the work that I have done has been very like user-friendly, you know? Um, And I think with art, I was actually chatting to my partner about this the other day because they were like, you know, like this is such a big theme. Like, how do you put that across? And I'm, I kind of said, I don't know that I need to, right? Yeah. Providing like something for someone to read so they can know wh- where I was coming from, that's like, I think really worthwhile right. and really enjoyable for me. But ultimately, like, if someone looks at it, like, they can take whatever they want to take from it. You know, yeah. I'm just kind of letting go of that and hoping people get something out of it. I love that because uh, so much talking with all these different artists in this podcast, there's so much of um, figuring out what for each person is the balance between the cathartic nature of our art, like the thing out that's important to us, uh, and what impact we want it to have, if any, Mm -hmm. you know? Because some people want to communicate a message, some people, you know, just, uh, and there's, uh, it varies, it varies quite a bit, and I think it's a cool thing to find where, where you lie, and that stuff. You right, know, like exactly. It yeah, it's it's tricky, and it changes a lot, yeah. you know. 
I think also something I really love about like more like traditional crafts and things like that is that there's such an element of like love and labor and like handiwork that goes into them that I think a lot of people can find them just like really visually beautiful mm -hmm. and like there's something kind of wonderful about them and you don't necessarily have to have like full context or a full kind of idea of how you feel about a piece of work to just be like that's amazing you know yeah so hmm. there's a piece very probably my favorite piece of art by hmm. liza lu okay. um that i'm actually is it called the kitchen i'm saying it's called the kitchen and i'm double checking myself but it's from like 1991 and it's like a full scale entirely beaded kitchen like huh. you can i mean you can't actually walk into it but hypothetically you could <laughs> walk into it it's like to scale and it's oh. like entirely encrusted with beads and it's absolutely fucking amazing. Wow. And even if you had no idea what she was talking about in this piece, you would just be like, just the sheer amount of work right. in that. Like, it's very cool because like the piece is about like labor as the process and labor as the outcome because it's uh -huh. like this domestic setting of like a kitchen, and it's a very like kind of 60s looking kitchen with yeah. like uh like cherry pie in the oven and things like that uh, but it's like also like the fact it took her five years like that is the statement in wow. and of itself yeah. it's about like giving labor dignity which i think is fucking cool hmm. giving labor dignity okay so I, I i like to ask um everybody what it's like for you when you experience fear um as an artist mm -hmm. and what you do to work through that fear yeah uh i think my biggest fear is probably uh not reaching my own potential huh. um i have adhd and i'm sure a lot of people with adhd would absolutely relate to this that like i can be my own worst enemy right mm. like i have missed opportunities before because of procrastination mm. there's so many things that i want to do and if i'm not careful i can get so carried away with like concepts and ideas that i never find time to actually execute anything you right. know and I am very busy, which is great. And I'm very grateful for that. But obviously like I have to find time around that. And so like the balance for me is like when my work quietens down and I have time, like am I burnt out? Am I gonna use that just to relax and like recharge a little bit? Or like, yeah. do I throw myself into making something? And obviously I always wanna throw myself into right. making something, but you know, I have to like, you know, take care of myself and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I think the thing that really scares me is like, will I just waste time? Will I get to a point where I'm like, I don't conceivably have all the time to make everything I want to make. Um, well, what's your uh, process for like moving through that fear when you, when you feel it? I think it's, for me, it's just, uh, how do I phrase it? Like, I mean, you know, I have therapy every week, right? Like I spend a lot of time like processing how I'm feeling and working through it. And it's all basically about giving myself more grace and just like, uh -huh telling myself like it's okay to relax and take some time and you'll get to it because sometimes that kind of internal panic of like oh my god I'm being like you know like so-called lazy or like yeah. I'm not doing what I should be doing and like that makes it like 10 times harder to start so just letting go and being like okay you know what I've been working really hard and I'm tired and I don't feel creative right now and that's okay because I will feel creative and productive at like a future point yeah. is the best way for me to get hmm. through it, I think, yeah. That's good, nice. All right, well, so um, what do you have on the horizon? What's what's coming up in? Oh, so many things. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, well, I just I did just get finished with a big thing, which was my partner uh, runs a comedy show every month, and they got this 
grant from Eventbrite to throw like a two-day comedy festival and I did all the decor for it so that was really really fun and that was like a huge job so like just got off the back of that and then so I'm doing Untitled at the Denver Art Museum in January. So okay. we're working on that right now, which is exciting because yeah. there's some stuff I've been wanting to do that's going to tie in really nicely with it. Um, I just signed off on another gig with Apple, which is cool. fun. Um, what else am I doing? I know there's other things and I'm forgetting them. Oh, I might have a personal show in February. Not 100% yet. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting to hear back on a grant I applied for. I'm trying to not get my hopes up, I but you. It, you, we'll see. We're crossing our fingers for you. Yeah. Even if I don't, I still did work I really wanted to do to apply for it. So that's all nice. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, where can people check out and follow your stuff? Uh, mostly Instagram. Okay. I'm, I'm about to try really hard this winter to have a fucking TikTok because it yeah. feels like obligatory at this it point, yeah. which is a little depressing, but I'm sure I'll get into it eventually. <laughs> um, uh, so on Instagram? How Instagram, which is Sophie Birkin Illustration. Okay. Sophie with an F. All right, and then uh, the last question I ask is uh, what's inspiring you these days? What are you watching when you listen to what, what's inspiring you creatively? Uh, I am an absolute podcast fanatic. Um, I listen to You're Wrong About a lot and Maintenance Phase a lot, and they both talk a lot about the kinds of things I was just talking about and a lot about like diet culture and things like that. So I find that really, really interesting. And obviously it's October, so I'm just consuming an insane amount of horror right now (laughs) because I love it. So that too. Queer horror, feminist horror. Love that shit. Hey, well, um, Sophie, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. It was a cool conversation. Mm-hmm. This was your first time talking into a microphone. I know. You it's did very such a good job. big. Thank you. <laughs> That's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> Special thank you to today's guest, Sophie Birkin. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Please be sure to subscribe to How Art is Born wherever you get your podcast for more episodes. And if you can, leave a review. It really helps us out. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind the scenes clips from today's episode. Don't forget to visit MCA Denver's current exhibition, The Dirty South, on view now.